We need to talk about ideas, good ones and bad ones. We need to learn stuff about the world. We need an honest, intelligent, thought-provoking, and entertaining review of what the hell happened on this planet in the last seven days. We need to sit back and listen to the Iron Fist and the Velvet Glove. Welcome back, dear listener. We're up to episode 195 of the Iron Fist Velvet Glove podcast. I am Trevor, the Iron Fist. With me, as always, is Scott, the Velvet Glove. And... The so-called 12th man. That's me. <laughs> Hi, everyone. <laughs> g'day, Paul. G'day, Trevor. G'day, listeners. G'day. Yeah. We've already been... We've just launched into a discussion before recording about all sorts of things, and um, so we're quite warmed up. And, well, ladies and gentlemen, dear listener, no shortage of things happening again, and uh, just breaking news today was about One Nation and... They've been caught on camera asking the National Rifle Association for $20 million to help water down Australia's gun laws, and they've been caught on camera in a sting by an Al Jazeera investigation (laughs) of of all things. (laughs) And it seems that Pauline Hanson's Chief of Staff, James Ashby, and One Nation Queensland leader Steve Dixon are both filmed meeting figures with the NRA discussing the threat of Islamic extremism in Australia and the need for NRA money to help emerge as a pro-gun force. All of this, and the blood is barely dry, on 50 people who died in a mosque in New Zealand from an Australian white terrorist. Scott, you can't make this stuff up. You can't make this stuff up. And it's, I mean, we always knew the One Nation people were stupid, but they have exposed their stupidity now and their evilness, that the fact that they were prepared to sit down and shake hands with someone from the NRA and they were looking for money so that they could gain control of the political system, so that they could gain uh, the, what's the word I'm looking for, the balance of power. Yeah. You know, there was a quote today I was reading that I think it was Ashby said, that if, if, you, if you get the balance of power, you've got the government's balls in your hands. Now, this is all they were aiming for, and they thought that if they got 10 or $20 million out of the NRA, they'd be able to get it. And, that, 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 just, and what they were prepared to sell out was the gun laws. Yes. You know, it, it's just they are evil. That is evil. <laughs> it, it is it especially just... Hours after this massacre in New Zealand, which has just heightened how yeah. important it well, is that we have these laws. I think oh, we, actually this would have been yeah, it would before, have been before that. Would have been before. You're right. Yeah. It would have been before, but it's come out now. It's That's come true. out. Now. It's come out That's now. True. But regardless of the timing, yes. it was an appalling, uh, devious thing to do. And of yes. course, they had no intention of revealing the sources because they've already denied it. They've already said, "Oh no, we weren't. We weren't going there looking for money. We were just." investigating electioneering um, methods. Mm. I mean, how... how, They're caught on camera discussing these things. They're just dishonest. Mm. And, you know, what I found really ridiculous... I can say that, can't I? Dishonest. Dishonest. Mm. (laughs) Sorry, Absolutely, you can go for it. As far as I'm concerned, you can say whatever you like about them because they're Mm. a pack of idiots. But Mm. um, that's probably defamatory. Anyway, so... (laughs) Idiots less so than dishonest. <laughs> yeah, that's why I was worried. Um, I 
found what I found really ridiculous was at the same time as this meeting was happening, Pauline was back here in Canberra voting to ban donations from over abroad. Mm. You know, so they hadn't even been talking amongst themselves when they had gone through with it all. It, it just makes well, no sense. She didn't go, and she no, says she, she, she didn't go, go because, because she thought it it would look odd if she went. Well, it would always look odd if you're going over there to sit down with the pricks from the NRA, you know. And it, what was even more offensive was that they were getting boned up on how you respond to massacres, mm. and they were saying, "How dare you? How dare you? What was it? Make political hay out of the sunshine when yeah, you got on had, the on the corpses of children? They had talking points of, exactly. of how to respond. Yeah, yeah, terrible. Just it's appalling." Just terrible. But, um, so if, ladies and gentlemen, if that's not a reason for you to ignore the how to vote card and put One Nation last, I don't know what is. Mm. Yeah. Mind you, it seems that guns are popular down in New South Wales. Oh, speaking of New South Wales... Refreshing. For years, southern states have accused Queensland of just being hicks. But, you know, New South Wales is caught up, I reckon, (laughs) and and overtaken. I mean, they've just had their state election. And Gladys Berejiklian is a moderate. And I don't believe she deserved banjo music. (laughs) That that was for the state of New South Wales. Fair enough. Who elected three candidates from the Shooters, Fishers and Farmers Party party as members of Parliament and in the Legislative Council uh, elected 5% Shooters, Fishers and Farmers and 6.1% One Nation, which got Mark Latham aboard. Oh, dear God in heaven. So Imagine what he's going to say under parliamentary privilege. You know, and this is the state which had the electorates that, you know, had the highest votes against marriage equality mm. and the state where, you know, you're locked out of um, um, nightclubs and things unless you're in a special casino precinct. I mean... <laughs> And it claims to be the premier state of Australia. You guys down there have got an embarrassing situation. Yeah, they do have to take a long, hard look at themselves, don't they? Yeah. So We shouldn't damn them all. I mean, let's face it, New South Welsh people are a very diverse bunch, just like us Queenslanders. Yeah, they are. They are. But, you know, it's a a bit of a, a stain on the reputation of New South Wales that they've allowed that to happen, I think. So... It's a democracy, Trevor. Yeah, the democracies don't always, you know, put put up the people that you necessarily like. And Mm. look, I want to I want to say something about that because Mm. I'm I'm getting a little tired of people complaining that we have so many prime ministers or so many elections. For goodness' sake, give me too many elections rather than not enough elections. Yes, but it is a sign that the system is is not functioning as it should. I'm not sure about that. I'm not convinced. I'm I'm, I'm more inclined to think the system is functioning. Well, it's functioning in that it's getting rid of dickheads, but it's 
it's highlighting the fact that we've got a lot of dickheads. We've got a lot of dickheads to work through, yeah. Yes. So you know. let's keep working through them and maybe the system will throw up a good Well, well good we've one. worked our way down to the bottom because we've now got Scott Morrison as our Prime Minister. Well, so. and, and did so, you see the article I sent you this afternoon? Are you going to defame him on this one? No, what's that one? What was that article? It was terrific. Um, uh, it's a, by Peter Harcher. I think right. it's published in The Age. Mm. And he wrote a very revealing article about uh, the machinations behind the Turnbull leadership spill. And he claims, and I don't know if it's true, but Peter Harcher, and I think he's a pretty sharp journalist, he claims Morrison was already manoeuvring for the top job well, well before the lead- Turnbull leadership spill. Right. In fact, when Tony Abbott was Prime Minister, Morrison was Immigration Minister and he knew that the transition to Prime Minister generally doesn't happen from Immigration Minister, mm-hmm. that you need to be Treasurer or some other portfolio. And uh, he actually apparently approached Abbott and asked for the treasurer's position over Joe Hockey. And uh, he said, Joe Hockey is, you know, he's doing a terrible job. You should make me treasurer. And Abbott declined at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Morrison apparently had these regular little meetings with about four or five others for a prayer meeting. Right. Regularly <laughs> at Parliament. <laughs> and guess what? Those five members of his prayer group... <laughs> The prayers worked? <laughs> well, no, no, listen to this. They apparently, when, when there was talk of spilling uh, Turnbull, yeah. they voted for, um, what's his name? Potato Head. Dutton. Dutton. Mm-hmm. They voted for Dutton first round, okay, mm-hmm. just to get Turnbull out of the way. And then once Turnbull was, was, was history, was mm-hmm. dead meat, they switched their vote to Morrison. Right. And they actively um, canvassed for votes for Morrison. Yep. And apparently... um, Do we know the names of these five? Yes, yes. They're published in the article. I sent it to you this afternoon. But anyway, have a look at it later. Yep. Um, The other thing is, um, what's his name? National Party's... um, McCormack? No, the ex-Barnaby. Barnaby Barnaby Joyce. Joyce. Apparently Barnaby Joyce had had said to Turnbull at some stage well, well before this, he said, he said the three people you've got to be watching f- your back for are um, Dutton, Morrison and Bishop. Mm-hmm. He said they're, they're the three likely contenders for the post. He said Dutton won't win, win because he's too right-wing. Bishop won't win because every, nobody takes us seriously. He said, Morrison's the one you've got to watch out for mm. and he'll be coming for you. Mm. Barnaby yeah. Joyce said this, like way, way, way back. You wow. Know? Isn't that interesting? And, it, and, it, and these sort of details are just coming out. Mm. Mm. I wonder why it took so long. People are selective in the, what they tell the, the media, I guess. Mm. But Peter Harcher published this article today and it makes a very interesting reading. Mm. Sounds quite compelling. Mm. Sounds true. Mm. So there you go. Yep. Just before we leave the New South Wales election, there was mm. one bright bit of news to come out of it. The Christian Democrats have lost their member of the Legislative Council. So yes, that was. Have they really? They have. Mm. The Fred Christian, Nile. Fred Nile is gone. He's gone. He's gone. Fred's gone. He's gone. Yeah. Thank goodness for that. Their vote was down to two percent. What That's a waste it. of space he was. He was a complete waste of space. Mm. Okay, that's good. 
Right. Uh, actually, and I've got a few um, uh, a few tables and things with the results, and there's an interesting map that just shows how the uh, state of New South Wales is divided up amongst these parties, and uh, Labor is in red, um, Liberals in blue, Nationals in green, and Shooters in yellow, and, and it's you can just see it emanating from the centre of Sydney, where it just goes. Labor, then out to Liberal, then out to Nationals, and then out to Shooters and Fishers. And, um, yeah, our society is quite divided amongst these sort of lines of where you live, Mm. Uh, whether you're really rural, remote rural, or whether you're semi-rural, or whether you're suburban, or whether you're in a city, and and you'll vote according to that sort of demographic. but we shouldn't assume that everybody... Uh, in any particular electorate votes the same because we have proportional representation. Of course, but, you know, enough people. Enough people. Mm. But, you know, we can't just hold us, bold us, condemn a whole state of people. Of course, but it just goes to show that where you live determines... Who you get. (laughs) How you vote. Well, it determines who you get as a representative rather than how you vote as Mm. an individual. Mm. But it's got a big influence. It has. Um, do you think probably what was behind the Shooters, Farmers and Fishers Fa- and Farmers Party vote was probably the water situation in western New South Wales? Yeah, it was appalling, It wasn't was it? appalling. Mm. And, you know, and both sides, both the feds and the state government have dropped the ball on this. And both the LNP and the Labor Party have totally stuffed up the Murray-Darling River Basin Plan. Absolutely. It's been completely buggered. And neither of them did a good job on it. Mm. Mm. Right. Uh, back to Mark Latham. <laughs> so oh. I was watching Media Watch last night. Did you watch that at all? And apparently in the run-up to this election, he has declared that, well, he suggested that DNA testing should be done for people claiming benefits as Aboriginals. And his detractors call him racist. Now, it's interesting, isn't it? <laughs> so I'm just going to read some bits here from Media Watch. So Paul Barry said, um, "So what's the gain in claiming to be Aboriginal?" And according to Mark Latham, it's a treasure trove. And Mark Latham's uh, there was a bit of a grab where he said, "There's special education, health programs, Indigenous-only jobs, etc., cetera, etc." Cetera. Um, and Paul Barry said, at this point, you th- would have thought he might have faced a few tough questions like, is this really so? What's the evidence? Would DNA testing even work? And isn't it an appallingly racist idea? And then um, there's an interview with Warren Mundine. Warren Mundine says, this is the most bigoted, racist comment I've ever heard. Um, and he goes on, and then... Um, Someone else here from um, Jewish community who said, the policy amounts to racial profiling and is fraught with danger. We call on all major political parties to utterly reject this policy. The problem, well... The problem is... The, the problem the is that the policy's that, in place. The fact that every government form you fill in asks you if you are if you identify as Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander. That is essentially a racist element in the paper, isn't it? That's what they don't like. 
you know, Mark institute- Latham is, this is this is the terrible thing. Like, I'm not defending Mark Latham no, wanting the test. The problem is somebody's written legislation exactly. that says we want to base these things on race. And what he said is he's highlighted this and gone, well, we need to test people really are that race, yes. if that's what you're going to say. In fact, all he's doing is, okay, if the government wants to run a program that favours people who identify as Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islanders, okay, let them demonstrate authenticity, you know? Yeah. And what – I mean, he's no more racist than the government department who decided that policy. Dear listener, if you're new to this podcast, the, the view is of, my, of myself and, and most of my colleagues is by all means throw as much money as we like at needy people, like double the amount of money given to people. Not, not a problem. The problem is when you're identifying people by their race as, as a means to qualify for these things. So, sure, a poor Aboriginal family in a remote location should be given all sorts of money, but, you know... But not using, because they're Aboriginal. That's right. And I because keep, they're needy. I keep they giving the example... They exactly the same amount of money as a poor white family in the same location. Exactly. Yeah. And I keep giving the example that, you know, Jonathan Thurston's kids shouldn't get a special advantage because of the colour of their skin. Exactly. So, you know, here we've got policies that say that people of a certain race are going to get certain things. And... And commentators are saying Mark Latham is racist for simply wanting to... Well, when I say simply, it's still an ugly thing to suggest, well, I want to do this. But the pro- the real problem is the actual legislation, legislation that's in place off that's with. racist. Yeah. The so, legislation almost invites that because, yeah. I mean, for goodness sake, it's, it's pretty regular for some government yep. Yep. Uh, politician or other yep. to come down on um, people who... And, and, who play the, you know, who game the system. And at some point, somebody might be making a claim and somebody might say, well, you're not, not entitled to that claim. And it could end up in court. And yeah. to resolve it, they yeah. might well do some sort of DNA testing as and, part of it. Like, and maybe that's the so, most accurate so, way to measure it. So, you know, it's a terrible thing to be suggesting that we DNA test people. But the, the reason... It's come about is because of an even more terrible thing that we passed laws that said do it based on race. Exactly. This is the terrible. That's where it originates from. Exactly. So, um, so anyway, when I heard that, um, one of the things that came to mind was remember our discussion about Elizabeth Warren. Yeah, Pocahontas. Pocahontas, mm. and how she uh, identified as Native American Indian. Well, she said that she had a minor amount of Native American blood in her. And did yeah. she do a DNA test? She did do a DNA test and she proved that she's 2% or something like mm. that. Well, there you go. Yeah. Well, well, and at the time... <laughs> so her claim is valid? At the time, we, cra- we came across an article that said that as you go through the generations, it's not like DNA is split up evenly at every juncture through the generations. So... It's not 50-50, then 25, and then 12 and a half and whatever. It's it completely random. It doesn't split that way. It splits no. in chunks. And, um, and there's an article here. Um, there's a geneticist, uh, the Graham, Graham Coote of the University of California, um, and his colleagues have studied how DNA disappears. So 
If you pick one of your ancestors from 10 generations back, the odds are around 50% that you will carry any DNA from him or her. Mm. And then the odds get even worse after that. So Mm. uh, Australia uh, settled by white people. How many generations? Well, 1788, the first fleet. Let's assume one of those first fleeters, um, we'll call him a male, um, hitches up with and has a liaison with a young Aboriginal girl at the time. And let's say that uh, the progeny uh, every 25 years reproduces. Uh, I work it out to be 9.24 generations. So if in that situation somebody from the first fleet hooked up with a local Aboriginal and you were a descendant of that Aboriginal, there's a 50% chance that you don't have any DNA of that Aboriginal person. There's a 50% chance you don't have any DNA of the First Fleet person as well. So So you could end up being completely polluted by Irish or something like that. So a DNA test is not going to prove anything because after 10 generations, it's 50-50. And once you start getting into 12 and 14, um, uh, it, it really... I've got another... Ch- or 14 generations. generations um, it disappears even... You know, the, the mm. chances are even less likely of having yeah. DNA. Well, so it's an interesting um, sort of yeah, situation I, where it's, it's not... It's not con- I don't know, think the government on, has any business getting into racial politics, you know, and encouraging it by, mm. you know, instituting policies that favour people of one so-called race, mm. you know. And we know biologically it's kind of shonky as well yeah. because, well, as you say... The DNA yeah. difference between any of us is minuscule. It is. You know, it makes... We've got a bit of Neanderthal in us. We've got a bit of Neanderthal in us, mm. exactly. It's just... So anyway, it's a disgusting idea that we would be DNA testing, testing people anyone. for their for their benefits, but it's a disgusting idea that we wrote laws that said it depended on yeah. that in yeah. the first place. So, but look, Latham is at least partially right because there are programs that are run specifically for people yeah. Yeah. of Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander mm. identity, and I know I I tutored a, a young woman when I was a university student. Mm. I was asked, was I interested in tutoring an Aboriginal student? I said, yeah, why not? Because mm. they paid me for it. Mm. So I did. And, mm. you know, the government was paying for that. She was getting a service that wasn't uh, offered to any other Australian student. Mm. Yeah. So there we go. That's interesting. Um, caused me to look up what is the test of, um, of being an Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander and... What I found from a website, this comes from the Australian Institute of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Studies, says that um, in considering the diversity of Indigenous peoples, an official definition of Indigenous has not been adopted by any UN system or body. According to the UN, the most fruitful approach is to identify rather than define Indigenous peoples. It goes on, Australia's Indigenous peoples are two distinct cultural groups made up of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples, but there's great diversity between those. An accepted definition of an Indigenous Australian proposed by the Commonwealth 
Department of Aboriginal Affairs in 1980s and still used by some Australian governments today is a person of Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander descent who identifies as Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander and is accepted as such by the community in which he or she lives. So you need descent, meaning a little some bit, sort of heritage. A little bit of heritage. Uh, identifying and being accepted. Mm, three parts to it. Yeah. And, mm. of course, you know what you look like physically is not always a very reliable guide, but mm. we all know that our Indigenous people do have certain easily recognisable physical manifestations. Mm. And when you come across people who get up in front of a TV camera and say they're Indigenous and you look at them and you go, really? Mm. Um, are we not entitled to ask for a little bit more than just self-identification? What do you think? Because there was a this week, in fact, a few days ago, there was a chap who very proudly uh, was was selected to be a representative of of Australia in surfing, Mm. but not of Australia as a whole exactly, but Indigenous Australia. So he's wearing a shirt with an Indigenous Australian flag on it because he's representing Indigenous Australia in world surfing competitions. And I looked at this guy and I thought... He just looks like your average suburban surfer, you know. Mm. He doesn't stand out particularly mm. as having Indigenous features. Not that that's necessarily important, mm. but you can hardly blame people for sort of scratching their heads and saying, really? The whole idea of an Indigenous surf group is it's complete a, It's nonsense. a bit bizarre because and as far as we're aware, there, there were no Indigenous well, surfers Well, just dividing our community, you know, into Indigenous and yeah. non-Indigenous is completely unnecessary. It is, it is yeah. regardless of the history of surfing, of course. Mm. I agree with Trevor. I think mm. we should get rid of the racism in our laws. I do mm. too. You mm. know. Just take it out of the law completely. I mean, mm. Indigenous yeah. people want us to take racism out of the Constitution, for goodness sake. Mm. And, there, and there are racist elements in the Constitution which were put there uh, when Indigenous people were seen as needing the sort mm. of, you know, um, paternalistic care that they mm. were generally, you know, given and in, often in b- very bad ways, as we know. But, I mean, they should remove those references, those racist references for the, from the Constitution and... From all legislation, for goodness sake. Mm. Let's be consistent. Mm. Let's. Let's. Don't hold your breath. All right. <laughs> now, um, the Lord's Prayer. Apparently, Victoria, uh, thank you, Bronwyn, for alerting me to this, um, is considering removing the Lord's Prayer from the beginning of parliamentary sessions. And apparently... Daniel Andrews said that Parliament might consider rotating the prayer each day to acknowledge the different faith communities of Victoria. Oh, what a great That's idea. That's a bad idea. <laughs> <laughs> We've been big fans of Daniel Andrews, but he just uh, he just tripped I up on that one, I think. Clearly underst- is that his idea? Well, yes. I can understand what Mr Andrews is trying to do. However, I just don't think it's going to work. We're going to have... The speaker presumably reading a Hindu prayer and then the next day reading a Muslim prayer, the day after that reading a Buddhist prayer and going back to well, a Christian People will probably prayer. be invited to come in and give the prayer, you know, is what happen, happens at 
some meetings, is that you know, special people come in and do the invocation. Okay, prayer. that's yeah. no problem at all, as mm. long as they're going to allow people from the satanic chapel to come in and do exactly the same thing. What? That's what happened what? in America. Exactly. Once? And once that, once that got out of control, then the yeah. Satanists got in there and they did their whole invocation and then they said, no, nah, fuck it. Well, sorry, yeah. apology for the language. Yeah. They said, no, screw Which it. language are you yeah. apologising <laughs> for? Then, that's, they, that's, that, then that's that's true. they walked away from it. Yeah. They, they were insisting on their right to prayer. But it was a Christian prayer that they had in mind when they were insisting on it. And once it was acknowledged that they had to have prayers of all groups and that the Satanists, no less, were going to be invited, then they said, well, that's it, we're scrubbing the prayers. We're going to scrub the prayers, exactly. So, yeah. so Satanists out there, start lining up for your prayer invocations in the Victorian Parliament. It might come to pass. And that might be the cure, do you think? It, it, it could, could well it, be. It's one step, isn't it? If you said... It could well be because mm-hmm. you only have to look what happened over there in the US and then the, the, their prayers and all that sort of stuff, they were thrown out of the council chambers very quickly once you had Satanists turning up there. Mm. But the religionists certainly haven't given up the fight in America, you know. No, they haven't given because up the fight. Because what they do is they get themselves elected to local government, to local school boards, and they decide what, uh, you know, that children should be learning more about Christianity and praying and shit like that. Look, if you'd like to learn more about Christianity, here's something that might help. Talk me. <laughs> <laughs> I, I need more Christianity. <laughs> There's going to be a TV sh- series on SBS, oh, a two-part great. observational series called Christians Like Us. Oh, I can hardly wait. Will air in April on <laughs> SBS. You will see... I'm going to watch it. You will see <laughs> 10 Christians from Catholic, Anglican and Pentecostal faiths Looks like the Mormons don't get a look in. All living under one roof for a week in Bella Vista in northwestern Sydney. Produced by CJZ. This is a follow-up to Muslims Like Us. Did you ever see that? A little bit. Right. What was that like? It was feel-good social justice rubbish. (laughs) (laughs) Don't hold back. (laughs) SBS Director of TV and Online Content, Marshall Healed said, Christians like us explores what it means to be Christian in Australia in 2019. The participants showcase a diverse range of views and are each deeply passionate and opinionated about their faith. Through debate and discussion, the series invites Australians to engage with the complex elements of Christianity and the issues currently facing the faith. Yeah, well, superstition can be very complicated. Mm. Can be indeed. Mm. I'm going to watch it. Yeah. You know, I'm not Tell going to get anything out of it, but I'll watch yeah. it. Of okay. course, and that would be exactly the reason any of us would watch it, not mm. because we need more Christianity in our lives, for mm. goodness sake. Well, it is complicated because even Christians don't understand what Christianity is. Like, True. Um, apparently, you know, in New Zealand there was that Muslim call to prayer mm. as part of the sort of mm-hmm. uh, ceremonies that were being, being done there. And um, Ardern said the prayer would be followed by two minutes of silence. And there was a, a church called Destiny's Church and a guy called Brian Tamaki. Mm. Yeah, he's yeah. the same guy that blamed the uh, Christchurch earthquake on people like myself, homosexuals. Ah, oh, right. Yeah. But you had nothing to do with that earthquake, did you, Scott? Apparently me and my better half did. Oh, yeah, right, did. Yeah, so. Lord Have you felt any remorse about it? No, none whatsoever. The Lord was not happy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to divert here yeah. as I crack open this beer. <laughs> right. Um, 
We've no, no beer sponsor this week, oh. dear no, listener. there was no beer sponsor. The beer sponsor this week, this week is the 12th man. He stopped at a pub on the way, and we've got Brick Lane, One Love Pale Ale. Mm. Thank you. Thank you very much, Paul. 12th man. It's a yeah. pleasure. Mm. We had to line up like half-starred refugees at the bottle shop. <laughs> yeah, we had to wait for five minutes for the, the bottle shop attendant to come back from some rest break he was exactly. taking. Yeah. But, you know, we showed our commitment. Yep. And we, we waited. Exactly. But, but, um, just back to um, homosexuality. Mm. You know that book I've been talking about with execution of, of people, of the alpha males by the B males, which yeah. led to the sort of reading out of aggressive nastiness in human society. Yeah. And, um, and that book is basically saying that human beings are actually a domesticated form of our ancestors. Mm. That once you take out aggressiveness, then a byproduct of that is is a domesticated version, a kind and of submissive tendency to submit to authority. Um, no, different aspects of domestication, which were um, there's two types of aggression. One is a really quick, responsive style aggression, and the other one is a more thoughtful, planned aggression. So. We as human beings have learnt to control that impulsive, um, reactive aggression, mm. but we still have the planned aggression. Mm. So, um, like, apparently Hitler, if you got to know him, was quite a genial guy in regular human interactions and Pol Pot was some sort of um, uh, friendly French teacher or something. like. That some of these guys who are... Uh, you know, you know, face to face sort of normal interactions are quite subdued, but then have the ability to plan massive aggression. So, so um, they were doing the study of these a type of fox because they were wanting the fox for its fur, and they were breeding the foxes to um, to be more um, less aggressive, so that they could handle the foxes better in captivity and hope, you know get them to the stage of being like sheep where they could, you know, just breed this fox fur. Yeah. So it was very intensive selection of foxes based on as they would approach the the fox enclosure, the young pups, um, uh, as they get closer and closer, the pup that was the last one to sort of show aggression, they would take that one and breed from it. And then from the next litter, um, using the same thing, breed from that. And so they quickly... Um, over a course of, I think, 70 generations, continued to do this by choosing the least aggressive uh, animal in the, in the litter. And what they found with, uh, with, with choosing for this sort of um, criteria was all these other funny little um, uh, characteristics that, that came along with it as a, as a consequence which didn't which were just sort of an unplanned offshoot that didn't really produce anything. So um, uh, one is that their snouts and faces would become flatter, so less wolf-like and more like a dog. Mm. And you have a feminization of the males where the males in these – and this has been done with other populations of other animals – where the males become closer in appearance to the female. And um, – so it's a very interesting book looking at all these sorts of byproducts. And one of them, Scott, it's a long way, to, it's been a long run up to get to this, but homosexuality is starting to feature in this as I get into this book. Where, Really? Yes, where uh, 
So some animals are bisexual, but in terms of purely homosexual, there's only one animal on the planet that actually is purely homosexual sometimes. Do you know which animal that is? The human being? Uh, besides a human being. Okay, couldn't tell you. Um, a ram. A ram. Mm. Is that right? Yes. So some um, male sheep, rams, are exclusively homosexual, about 8%, where they're just not interested in the ewes at all. They're just interested in other guys. 8%? That's <laughs> yes, quite high. It's quite high. Mm. And it's the only animal that's like that. And, of course, sheep are one of our most domesticated um, um, animals. animals yeah. Yes. And certainly... Uh, yeah, there's sort of this tendency to show that domesticated animals engage more in homosexual activity. Mm. So, um, so yeah, Scott, you could be just the product of a domestication process. <laughs> Apparently so, so, you never know. Yeah. And, and probably us as well, yes. Trevor, in, yes. in other ways. In other ways, which I will get to at another time yes. when I finish this book, but I had to sort of get to that part. Yeah, mm. that is interesting. Mm. Very interesting. All right. So, you know, when Destiny's Church, Brian Tamaki accused you of the earthquake, he was, he was probably unaware of this domestication theory leading to Send him a copy homosexual of tendencies. I don't think he'd care. No. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, anyway, he was happy with two minutes silence, but he was not happy with the Islamic prayer. And apparently, because he says in it, it contains the words, there is no God but Allah. Well, Yes. And he said, Jesus Christ is the only true God. This is not us. But some online commentators were confused by Tamaki's comment, Jesus Christ was the only true God. Brian, he was the son of God. He called God his father. Please read that book again properly, said one person. (laughs) And another one said, Jesus Christ is God. Blimey, that's different, said another. Hmm. Like, these people don't even know their own... Well, they're trying to make sense of the trilogy, so you've got to cut them some slack. Trilogy is bizarre. Let's face it. The trilogy is incredibly bizarre. It makes no sense whatsoever. Mm. Right. Um, Back to where we were before. Um, I want to talk about – I'll come back to that one maybe – do you hear about Jordan Peterson's book being banned in New Zealand? (laughs) Yes. I was really – As a response to the murder of – all those poor people in Christchurch. Why would you remove the book of one particular author? Because people like to spread the blame, you know? One guy did the killing and now they're going to selectively blame anyone who's seen as uh, counter to their political agenda. What, what was the problem with Jordan Peterson's work? He, he's seen as... Um, He's seen as right-wing by certain members of the political establishment. Mm. Yeah. But, you know, but has he said anything negative about Islam or Muslims or anything like that or not? Probably. It, uh, it's, it's weird. So apparently Whit, Whitcool's major New Zealand bookstore with 50 shops has removed Jordan Peterson's best-selling book uh, in the wake of the terrorist attack. Mm. Um and there was a tweet by somebody which featured a screenshot of a customer service rep's email to an inquiring customer. In it, the rep named Erica writes, Unfortunately, 12 Rules for Life is currently unavailable. 
which is a decision that Whitcools has made in light of some extremely disturbing material being circulated prior, during and after the Christchurch attacks. As a business which takes our responsibilities to our communities very seriously, we believe it would be wrong to support the author at this time. And like, yeah. As you know, I'm no fan of Jordan Peterson, no. but goodness sake, a book that tells you to make your bed before you yeah. leave the house or something, isn't it? Yeah. Like, Rather than something. remove Mein Kampf, the Koran, the Bible, which are all full of hateful ideologies, Yes, they remove Jordan Peterson's book? It's yeah. Yes. Just defies so, logic, doesn't it? So it was pointed out in this Twitter thread that Hitler's mind comp remains on Whitcool's shelves. Yeah. <laughs> as, do, as does the Bible and the Quran. Yeah. Which contain absolutely, mm. you know, direct calls to violence or justifications for violence. Yeah. So that's weird. Getting rid of 12 rules for life, but keeping the other stuff on the yeah. shelf. That's yeah. very bizarre. There we go. Mm. Still on New Zealand, uh, I see a lot of scenes with people performing the haka as yes. part of uh, their mourning sort of grieving process of, of solidarity. They, they do it for anything these days, the New Zealanders, don't yeah. they? They seem to think it's any, any, any occasion is an occasion for the haka. Well, what, it's a war dance, isn't it? It's, it's, I believe it is a war dance. Um, My understanding it is because you do have that whole point with the where they quite grabs you from behind, slits your throat, and you're there sticking your tongue out. Oh, is that what it's about? But, well, there's different versions. There are they? different versions of it. So yeah. why would you perform that at a commemoration for people who've just been horribly murdered? I don't know. It has been one of those things that has... Yeah, there was a Kiwi that was killed in Afghanistan. They did the haka for him when he was carried out in a box and all that sort of stuff. It is one it, of those things that they do do. It's almost like the meaning of it has been lost and it's just the um, performance of it that is enjoyed. Without It's like a, a pop song that you might like, but you never really listen to the lyrics and pay attention to them, but you like the song. Anyway... The thing about the haka I'm finding with this is that it's often performed by white people. Yes. And if they're New Zealanders, yes. they're allowed to. And this is the interesting part. Like in these days of cultural appropriation, <laughs> where you can't wear a sombrero <laughs> to a Mexican party, yet white people are encouraged in New Zealand, it seems, to perform the haka when they're part of a school group or other groups like uh New Zealand football teams have obviously got Maori and non-Maori members and the whole team performs it. So, they sure do. So when people talk about cultural appropriation, um, pull the that one out. are the worst. Pull that, well, <laughs> pull that one out and say, well, should white people not be doing it? Or they've been given the green light by the Maori people. So in that case, why can't other cultural groups give the green light to white people to celebrate? I don't know. It's just... It's such a weird – the whole cultural appropriation thing is complete nonsense and it's just so inconsistent around the world and the very people who would say, you know, stop wearing that Mexican sombrero would quite possibly be cheering the white people performing the haka. So consistency is what we want in this world. That's what we want. Yeah, not going to get it. Um. I read one article that said, because um, they're now talking about improving the gun laws in New Zealand, and it said, uh, in New Zealand it took one mass shooting to awaken the government. In the United States, even a string of mass killings, 
and then it goes on to list them, has not been enough. Um, nor has the fact that 73% of Americans say that more needs to be done. So here's the point. The, the Americans have got a constitutional amendment, a right to bear arms that you've got to get over. And New Zealand, I don't think, has that problem. Like, you can just pass a law the same as Australia could, and you don't need a majority of people in a majority of states. You don't need the super majorities that you need for constitutional amendments. So my sympathy for the Americans is that they're stuck with what many have claimed is a great constitution, but is actually deeply flawed in many ways. And it's also an argument for not um, uh, engineering too many weird things into our constitution, like, you know, Indigenous uh, exceptionality and things Mm. like that. Well, that's why you don't have a Bill of Rights. You don't have a constitutional Bill of Rights. You you know, I'm still not overly enamoured with Queensland's new Bill of Rights, but at least it's legislative, so if they find that it's clogging the courts up, they can change it. You know, it can be overcome. But a constitutional Bill of Rights, they're an absolute pain in the ass to get around. Yep. Yeah. It's one of those things where one generation burdening future generations. Yes. Absolutely, things, yeah. And not enough attention is paid to laws that are passed where, you know, current generations are, are obliging future generations. So, mm. you know, it's a bit of a joke. Sometimes you see, the, you know, Scott, it seems to be a thing lately with the Federal Parliament with, you know, passing a budget that says, well, actually, we're not doing anything next year about this particular tax, but we've got a, uh, a graduated scale so that by 2035, uh, <laughs> these things will happen. Yes. And it's like, what, are you kidding? Who are you kidding? In 20, they have these projections going 20 years into the future as, to, yeah. as, as if the laws that they're passing now in relation to tax are going to be ongoing until yeah. then. But, uh, you know, unlikely, but... Uh, Anyway, more attention needs to be paid, I think, on laws that are um, uh, intergenerational. Mm. Just one thing on the New Zealand gun laws is, and, you know, my hat is off to Jacinda Ardern because she has moved very quickly on it. But the laws don't don't go as far as Australia did. It is still possible in New Zealand if you buy a weapon and you can convert it to be a semi automatic. Whereas in Australia, it's virtually impossible to buy a weapon that can be converted to a semi-automatic ah, status. Ah, really? Yeah. So they could well be still facing problems again in the future. Hmm. But what really surprised me this afternoon, I was riding home and I was listening to a podcast. They said that one in two adults in New Zealand have a firearm, which really surprised one me. One in two? One in two. Yeah. That's that really surprised me. And there was apparently a big rush on gun stores. In New Zealand. Right. When this, uh, you know, legislation was was being talked about, people were rushing the gun shops and buying up while they had the chance. Hmm. But, you know, they're going to have a, they're going to have a gun buyback and all that type of thing too, is my understanding. So mm. they're not going to be allowed to keep the firearms. Well, well, they're just they're, well, they're, they're going to stockpile them and, and wrap and them up them. in grease yeah, and bury right. them in the backyard somewhere. That's what they'll yeah. do. Mm. Just like the <laughs> militias in America. Yeah, but mind you, that didn't seem to happen in Australia, to, as oh, far as we know. There are probably there some were, that we're not aware of. Okay. There were 
there were stories at the time that the fastest selling items in um, hardware stores were ah, that's right PVC pipe PVC, PVC pipes, pipes that, that yeah. you could you could seal, seal off at both yeah. ends. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, that's true. So that was one of the things that was being. I wonder what they're sold. using them for. I wonder. Mm. Well, they're buying Drainage. them to, to bury their guns. Mm. Oh, is that what it's for? Yes. Mm. Right. They're well, clever, aren't they, those people? The latest version of the World's Happiness Index has come out. Oh, oh really? Mm. Are we happy? I'll tell you who's happy. <laughs> I'll tell you who's happy. Finland, Finland, Finland. <laughs> The country where I want to be. Came in at number one, Finland. Oh, who else? Yet again. So, um, looks at money, looks at um, comfort and security, looks at whether if you're in trouble, you've got friends who can help you out, range of different factors as they rate the happiness index. Starting at the top, Finland, Denmark, Norway, Iceland, Netherlands, Switzerland, Sweden, New Zealand, Canada, Austria, Australia, and a bunch of countries, and down to United States at 19. So what number were we? 11. Okay. It's pretty close. Um, to where we usually are. Uh, around those figures, but um, there you go. Finland, Denmark, Norway, Iceland, Netherlands, Switzerland, Sweden. Mm. Iceland sounds mm. like the place for me, I have mm. to say. Yeah. A bit cold, wouldn't it? I don't mind the cold as much as I used to, to be honest. What I dislike now is the muggy heat mm. that we're experiencing at the moment in mm. Brisbane. Mm. As we get older. <laughs> it's true. And yeah. it's getting hotter. I used to love the heat when I was mm. young. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Um, story about a Hindu man. Um, this is in New Zealand yet again. Uh, he bought some... Uh, well, he thought it was lamb when he was buying it from the supermarket, mm-hmm. but it had been mislabeled and it was actually beef. Oh, dear. And he is asking or demanding that the supermarket fly him back to India so that he can be cleansed. Yeah, in yeah. the Ganges or some yeah. clean river like that. Yeah, uh, he needs to be purified by priests in a process of between four to six weeks back in New Delhi. It's a reasonable India. request, isn't it? Mm. It will also mean he has to close his barbershop over that period. Uh, and they should compensate him for losses, business mm. losses. Yeah. He says, I understand this looks like a simple matter, but for me this is very hard. I break my religious vows because of someone else's negligence, he said. It's unforgivable. I know my society back from my home will not accept me with this breach of the religion's conditions. Time to find a new religion. Don't go home. Time to get real. Yeah. I'm afraid. It's funny what people do. It's really bizarre. And what they expect others to take seriously. Exactly. He's expecting these lot to fly him back home, put him up for four or six weeks, and then bring him back. It makes no sense whatsoever. That Mm. was really bizarre. Dear listener, did you know with podcasts it's possible to do a thing called chapter marks? And I'm going to give it a go on this podcast where... Uh, have a look at your app and see if it allows the function for chapter marks. And if so, some of the things we've talked about in this episode will appear as pictures on your podcast app. So some of the charts for the election result, and you'll also see a picture of of two Indian ladies who are smearing cow poo and urine over each other as part of a ceremony. So, <laughs> so 
There you go. Good God. Try and um, try and see if your app. Well, hopefully, I've been able to do it as a little test, and um, and. That will be handy because when we talk about charts and figures and things especially, it'll be good to show the pictures. So hopefully that will appear on your app. You might have to press a button or two to find the chapter marks. But And it should also allow you to jump from one topic to another without having to go through all of them. Okay. Another one you'll see, you might see a picture of, uh, a story where a patient was told he was, he was in a hospital and he was told he was going to die, which is not something that you want to hear when you're in a hospital but particularly not from a robot doctor. <laughs> Have you heard of these robot doctors I before? I did hear this. I did read this story a couple of weeks ago. It's So what they do now, dear listener, yeah, in these hospitals is they've got, they've got robots which have a television screen on the top and these robots make their way through the hospital wards and, and there's obviously a guy in an office somewhere talking and his face appears on the screen and he consults with the patients. But rather than being physically there, it's done remotely. And what country is this now? Uh, the United States. This is like the United States. It's really bloody crook that this doctor apparently skipped classes when they were talking about bedside manner. You yeah. know, because you would imagine that if you're going to deliver bad news like that, that you'd want to be there. You know, that you would say to the bloke, I'm really sorry, your time is at an end. Is there someone we can call for you? You know, you really should get out of here, make your arrangements and get ready to go. It's a real dystopian future, isn't it? It's, it's like something really out of a science fiction awful. movie when a robot wheels in with a guy's face on a television screen saying, wow. sorry, your time's up. Boy. Marvin the Martian was Boy. one of my favourite cartoon characters as a child. And <laughs> Did that happen in Marvin the Martian? I don't think so, but he used oh. to deliver pretty you know, un- unwelcome news to the Earthlings, I think, didn't he, on occasion? Like, yeah, but did he your do planet it? will be destroyed? <laughs> I don't know. I, don't, I never saw um, I'm not Was he the one that it. used to say, brace yourself for immediate disintegration? I'm not sure about yeah. that, possibly. But he used to say, greetings, Earthlings. Right. Don't know. I haven't seen that That's one. where I got it from. Finally, we haven't mentioned much left-wing stuff in this episode, but just quickly, as we all know, um, that the you know the top one percent owns fifty percent of the world's wealth. Well, according to an Oxfam report, just sixty-two individuals now hold the same wealth as the bottom half of humanity. 62 people. Are equal to the bottom half of all humanity. Which is about almost three three and and a half half billion people. Yes. 62 people. Yep. Three and a half billion people. Yes. Staggering, isn't it? And in another report, so we know that um, um, it's saying a projection that by 2030, the top 1% will own 64. 64% of the world's wealth by 2030. Well, at least we know they're not sitting on their hands. (laughs) Well, the problem is they are. Yeah. When you're that wealthy, you can sit on your hands (laughs) because you're in charge of all these monopolies that nobody can crack into the markets. You can just sit on your hands. That is the problem. So they're making money at 6% a year, much faster than the 3% growth of wealth for the remaining 99% of us. 
So, um, is that what you're getting? <laughs> so there we go. They'll be up to three hundred and five trillion TN. Uh, is that trillion? Yeah. Um, top one percent by twenty thirty are going to have sixty four percent. Time to do something about it. You know, I'm not a fan of Commissar Shorten, but mm. um, but when you hear statistics like that, it, it, it is deeply disturbing, isn't it? Mm. It is very disturbing because capitalism has delivered us all Lots a, of better, a much better standard of living and all mm. that type of thing. Mm. However, it has gone off the rails now where it has got to that point where you've got 1% owning two-thirds of the wealth. Mm. That is bloody criminal. And what we ought to be looking at is 1% owning 25% of the wealth so that we have the rest of it spread amongst all of us. Also, arguably, a lot of that wealth that you talk about capitalism having brought for us was at the expense of some other developing nations who've been rightly properly screwed over. Uh, so for Western countries, capitalism has been marvellous, but there's a, a number of developing countries where maybe not so marvellous. Oh, I think you'd find that Malawi would disagree with you there because they're, mm. I think it was Malawi, that they, they, their standard of living has gone up now to mm. the point where they are now equivalent to Italy, is my understanding. Right. So that is a very big jump for Malawi to mm. end up being the same as Italy. Mm. Now, how are things in Bangladesh? Well, they're not so good in Bangladesh. I'm mm. just saying it's not an even spread, but there mm. are countries that have jumped ahead and there mm. are others that have been left behind. Look, there's no doubt that you know the colonial powers did extract large amounts of resource and wealth from colonial possessions. Mm. However, oh, I think it's, really it's a bit think... of a stretch to say that you know the entire capitalist edifice rests on the spoils of colonialism. I Clearly, I, I didn't it's say the gone entire edifice. Way beyond, <laughs> way beyond that. And it has been a, a, a system that encourages innovation but the United and States, efficiency. But it's had its victims as well. It yeah, has. The United States has got to be the world's great, great largest economy and it never, it never had any colonies. Well, it has in a sense. It's had uh, economic colonies. Yes, which ones? And, well, uh, Latin America. Okay. Yes. So the, the multinational yeah, okay, companies. Fair enough. Have, understand that. Yeah. 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 But mm, I still think, on balance, and, capitalism has been good for and, humanity. And the Middle East. Yeah. Okay. And the so, Middle East. But yeah. I do think, on balance, capitalism has been good for humanity. I agree. On balance, it, it has yeah. had some disastrous blunders. I don't think there's mm. any argument there. You mm. can look at some of the horrible things that have gone wrong. Mm. And one of the things that's gone wrong now is this creeping, obscene wealth inequality mm. that has gone on. Mm. Now, you're always going to have to have a little bit of inequality because inequality is one of the things that keeps you, know, keeps you wanting to keep up with the Joneses. Mm. You've always got to be... And it's probably inevitable that there'll be inequality because we're, we're not all the same creatures. We're not, we don't all have the same drives, ambitions or needs or wants. So there, there is. There's a, there's of, always of, we're never ever going to be all the same. Of no, course, but when 1% owns 64%, yeah, it's incredibly dangerous. That is incredibly wrong that you've got that. Yeah, I agree. It's just plain wrong. Mm. But if you had 1% owning 25%, that would be a hell of a lot more palatable. Mm. There we go. A little bit of left-wing stuff to finish off with. Well, I reckon um, we've got enough 
we won't drag on this one. Okay. So now next week, I don't know, I'm getting a knee operation. Yes. So yeah. I don't know, I might be sitting around twiddling my thumbs and have lots of time to construct a podcast. <laughs> or I might be lying in agony, clutching an ice bag and saying, bugger the podcast. Yeah, Where's where's my morphine? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> So, dear listener, not sure what's going to happen next week. Could be a podcast, could be a repeat, could be, could be anything. Send me your best wishes <laughs> <laughs> and, and some beer sponsorships. Oh, yeah, actually, let's. Um, we need to thank. We need to thank. Haven't thanked the patrons for a long time. Oh. Starting at the top, look, we haven't had a patron since the a new patron since the eighteenth of January, dear listener. We're asking a dollar a show. That's all we're asking for. If you, dear listener. Uh, hooked on this program and you really like it and every week you can't wait for it and you fire up the app and listen to the whole thing and you've been doing that for 20, 25 weeks, well, it's time to stump up and become a patron. If you only dip your toe in every now and again and sometimes you don't care, sometimes you do, fair enough. But if you're a regular, we expect you to become a patron for $1 a show. $1 US, that is, on Patreon. It won't put us into the 1% category. No, it won't. No, it, won't. <laughs> no. it won't cost you your chance to be in the 1%, but you'll get a warm, fuzzy feeling. And you can join the likes of Sean Janelle, Craig John, Landon Wayno, Ayame, Alison, Steve, Tony, Caitlin, Watley, Jimmy Spud, Kane, Bronwyn, Matt J, Robert, Rod, Palais, Maddock Man, Dominic, Liam, Dave, Squeaky Wheel, Daniel, Harry, Gavin, Peter, Captain Doomsday and Aiden, and you've got our non-patron supporters who do it in other ways via PayPal at Dean Ken was the beneficiary and David. Um, actually, maybe David joined us since the 18th of January because he's Welcome not on Patreon. Yeah, because David's not on Patreon. I don't have the date of that one. Thanks to our beer sponsors in the past, was Wayne O'Land and Bronwyn, Dave, Adam... And the twelfth man now. <laughs> exactly. So if you don't want me and Paul to have to line up again next week at the uh, bottle shop, yeah, you know what to do. <laughs> get in contact. And um, there we go. So that's it for another episode. Thank you, dear listener. We'll be back maybe next week. If not, definitely the week after. Thank you very much for listening. Bye now. Bye now. Well, dear listener, did you enjoy that episode of the podcast? If you did, I've got a favour to ask. Uh, first up, tell some friends. Let them know about the podcast. You'll be discussing something at some time and you might be repeating something I've said. And when you're talking to your friends, say, hey, I heard this on this podcast and it's worth listening to. And maybe pick an episode that you think's a good one and direct them to it. Like grab their phone and go to their podcast app and search for Iron Fist Velvet Glove and subscribe <laughs> on their behalf on their phone and, uh, and just put the word out. The other thing is you could become a patron and support the show. So if you go to our website, you'll see a link to Patreon and there are some different options for subscribing and paying per episode. And really the amount that you pay depends on what you get from the podcast. So there's different levels ranging from $1.50 Australian to I think $10 and various ones in between. It's really, what do you think it's worth? Is it worth a cup of coffee? Uh, is it worth more than that, less than that? Whatever you get out of it, because not everybody gets the same. Maybe you don't 
listen to the whole thing. Maybe you never talk about it with people. Maybe you really couldn't care less half the time whether the podcast is there. It just it'll be different for everybody. So if you get a lot out of the podcast, contribute a bit more. If you don't get much, contribute less. But in any event, you can subscribe there. If you don't like the idea of a regular subscription, the website has a link to a PayPal donation. So you could just do a one-off donation every now and again. So there you go. It'd be good to uh, spread the word, get a few more listeners. And that way, look, if we ended up getting more listeners and more money, we could do maybe a second episode or more special episodes, provide some more content. So it's up to you. If you think it's worthwhile, let people know. Thanks.